greatest hits on Manx Radio. And it's time for another classic album. Not just classic, magnificent. As is my guest, who knows a thing or two about putting these things together. Because fresh from the studios in Balasala, Balagroove Studios, Jip, again, welcome to the programme. Thank you very much. I can't believe I prized you out of there. But thank you for coming down. No problem at all. Going on to your choice of album, I asked you only a few days ago, how difficult was it to come up with one? It was quite easy, Whoa. if I'm being totally honest. Yeah, well, we like honest. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I like a wide range of music, and I've, I've collected a lot of music over the years. Um, but in the context of your show, it was quite clear which album to pick. And tell us then what you've gone from. Uh, Revolver by the Beatles. Oh. You see, that is so on the money for me personally. It must have been, I'll tell you why, very briefly, it's your show, but I'll just tell you why. My sister's 21st birthday, and she's quite a bit older than me. This was on in her birthday. Birthday party was at home in like a basement of our old house. Uh And this was playing and playing and playing. And I was allowed to come for a bit. Right. And I don't think I'd heard it before. And that was it. That it became my anthemic album of growing up. So thank you. Oh, absolutely. I've said if I, if I ever had a time machine, I would go back to the day it was released and listen to Tomorrow Never Knows for as long as I possibly could bear it. I mean, there were it's, hints of where they were going in Rubber Soul, but this sort of paved the way for what was to come. For sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, Norwegian Wood, some of the more unusual songs on, that probably don't seem that unusual now, but at the time, Rubber Soul was quite a departure. Mm. Um, but then they the gloves were off for Revolver. You know, there's a few normal-ish songs on there for sure, but the more experimental stuff, which is the stuff I lean towards, is I, I can't begin to imagine what it must have been like in 1966 to have heard those sounds coming from a band that were as huge as the Beatles. And, you know, from I Want to Hold Your Hand to Tomorrow yeah. Never Knows in four years is, is well, less three years, is kind of hard to believe it really. is isn't it it was it was moving so fast yeah so very fast and yeah. production techniques were leaps and bounds everything was being pushed can we do this can we do this i want to try and do that you know? absolutely i mean embracing ideas from the avant-garde and from experimental and left field classical music and techniques and just inventing techniques yeah because you, you had to because you couldn't go and buy things yeah you couldn't buy plugins for software to no. do what you wanted <laughs> you know if you wanted to do flanging or like a flanger type effect you had to touch the tape reels and you know slow them down or i mean one that i was reading about the other day about lennon's vocal for tomorrow never knows which they ended up putting through a a rotating leslie which is like a speaker that spins round. that's yeah, generally people see that with an organ yeah a hammond organ yeah. yeah it's a usual use for it and that's what they ended up or jeff emmerich the engineer ended up suggesting because what Mac- what Lennon suggested was that they suspend him from the studio roof and spin him round so he flew <laughs> round the studio with a microphone <laughs> in the middle and it would just pick him up as he went past and obviously that wasn't entirely practical so he came up with the idea of using the rotating Leslie and you get that lovely sort of swirly effect on his vocal but of course they had to like you say had to yeah. invent ways of doing things Right, where are we going to start on this sonic adventure, Jip? Where are we going first? Um, tonight's track. Okay, Love You Too, um, which is a George song. Um, I'm pretty certain it's the first song the Beatles did that not all the Beatles played on. And in fact, on this song, it's only George who plays on it. It's massively significant song because it 
introduced world music, for want of a better term, to a, to a global audience. Sitar had featured on earlier Beatles songs briefly, but this was the first song that was essentially an, an Indian song with George's lyrics on it. And it's not, I want to hold your hand or she loves you, it's, it's virgin into philosophical, spiritual, religious territory, which, again, at the time, just wasn't done in pop music. It, it was just a whole new way of writing and writing what you wanted, you know, rather than writing to what the audience wanted. Credit to them that they allowed George three songs on this album. Normally it was one, but they got three songs on this album. And he was allowed to record an Indian song. You know, it's just, where does that come from? And we'll hear it right now. This is from Revolver, uh, Love You Too. go back to revolver and again i can't thank you enough for choosing it what got you into the whole sound business 
I suppose the genesis of it. I mean, my parents are both big music fans um, into slightly different music, the pair of them. My mum was very much into Dylan and the early... Well, she was into the early Beatles. She lived, comes from Liverpool, so she saw the Beatles a lot in their early years before they moved to London. My dad was into rock and roll and then into the sort of Laurel Canyon scene in the 70s, a sort of folky, um, folky side of things. So I grew up with fairly diverse but I also grew up with a huge influence from both my granddads who were, were both heavily into music and they carried around tape recorders everywhere they went recorded every concert they went to had huge collections of cassettes and reels um, and I started doing that I used to sit by classic story really for my generation but I used to sit by the valve radio listening to the charts with a little handheld tape recorder and then I'd take those tapes and start splicing them and playing them backwards and I don't know where it why but <laughs> I just started doing that hitting the pause button to speed up the the head so it would record everything slow and are you sure you're not writing my autobiography it sounds like you're talking about me that's the thing a lot of people I talk to <laughs> who who've been involved in sound and sound engineering recording did this but all in isolation of each other it was just something you did as like a seven eight year old kid and it seems an awful lot of people did it um, and an awful lot of us have it in common, and I was one of those people. And then the move into uh, being a producer and an engineer in a studio, how did that come about? Well, I'd always recorded, but I'd always played in bands and recorded bands from, you know, 12, 13 onwards um, and recorded in by whatever method I had, whether that was like a ghetto blaster just put in the practice room or then eventually I bought a four-track uh, cassette and then eventually an eight-track reel-to-reel, then eventually a PC that's the first foray into music you could edit yeah say and i was doing that at home uh, with bands i was playing in i had a little sort of very much a home studio um would record all kinds of bands and then eight nine years ago i quit my career and took it on full time um and now i've got the studio and that's been going for the last eight or nine years that's wonderful that i mean i'm not being funny it's a tough old business uh, running a recording studio you look around the the country and around the world so many are, are finding it hard but you're, you're there eight nine years on this is, so congratulations is thank due you. for thank that you. thank you very much look at our record of the week look at it revolver i mean the cover is magnificent we got the vinyl here in the studio with us it's just such an adventure a sonic adventure and as we mentioned yesterday they were doing things, well, certainly I had never heard before. And this was every time the Beatles then moved forward. And they threw stuff at us. Just focusing on George Martin's influence, was he a driver or a facilitator? I think a bit of both. I think the Beatles needed him, especially at this time, because the Beatles were falling out, essentially. Lennon mm. and McCartney especially um, weren't on great terms at this time. And George Martin kind of held it all together. George Martin earlier on obviously opened an awful lot of doors for them with EMI. But I think in terms of arrangement and orchestration, you know, George, you can't underemphasize George Martin's influence. I think maybe on this album and the subsequent albums, the Beatles took what they'd learned from George Martin and ran with it. But um, I think, yeah, his, his influence is huge. And especially on this album, Jeff Emmerich's influence as well, yeah. who was the engineer. And engineers in those days were basically scientists, you know, because <laughs> yeah. um, as we were saying last night, they had to work out ways to create what the musician wanted because there wasn't necessarily 
a piece of equipment you could just switch on you had to invent ideas or build equipment you know to to get the sounds that they wanted let's have a, another track what's tonight's track Jip? uh she said she said okay any so, particular reason for choosing this one um i love it <laughs> That's good enough. In inevitably last night was a george song tonight a lennon song paul doesn't play on this which says a lot about how well they were getting on we used to cover this in the band i was in so i've played it many many times and it's kind of i would describe it as a prototype of all the indie music that came in the 80s and 90s it's not entirely rooted in rock and roll or blues it's it's going somewhere slightly different um and i, I just love it that's why i chose it <laughs> Before we get on to tonight's track, we mentioned a bit about technology and we talked a lot about how the studio was emerging as a tool and people were experimenting so much at this time. Do you think that now, if we look at absolutely right now, you can do almost anything in a recording studio, but you have to actually now work out what you want to do with all this fabulous technology. And if you're not being creative with it, it's almost like wasted yeah I'd, I'd agree with that entirely you know it, it's boundless you know what you can do with a studio and what you can do with sound i mean it's just down to your imagination but that doesn't mean you'll create something good you know you can go in and record a band 
and you can do it in a very standardized way there's almost like a template for how to do it and you'll get a certain sound but that sound will be somewhat generic you know if the band haven't gone out a little bit on a limb to be more creative with effects or with arrangements or with orchestration and the studio kind of makes that easier i think it certainly easier than it was in the past but it's more difficult to come up with something unique because everyone has the same set of tools so it's what sets bands aside now is really is just solely their imagination and their creativity and of course their ability to play but you know that for me as a sort of someone who's rooted in punk the ability to play is second hand to how important your creative ideas are that's far more important to me personally so you've got all the tools how much do you sort of when you get a, a let's say a young musician through the doors of Bower Groove and you say um can I suggest a little bit you, uh, do they do you wait to be asked or are you are you helping them from the get-go um it depends each, each project every project is unique um some people ask for ask for advice and ask for help and want I- creative ideas other bands come in just fully formed and and know exactly what they want I'll usually suggest ideas if I, if I can hear something or I'll play people reference songs. So if, if they play a song and I'll go, okay, that's great, have a listen to this. And it may influence some ideas for if it's just for a solo or for a middle eight. Or I mean, a lot of songs that come in, and this isn't to, to the detriment of any of the younger ones that come in. I mean, they're, they're on the start of their journey. But in terms of song craft, in terms of having middle eights and having bridges and having in you know intervals and things, they may not have really thought about that. So it may just be verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you know, chorus mm. maybe the arrangement. So quite often, quite often influence you know the actual song arrangement and then the idea that songs should change all the time to keep the listener's attention. You know, so you, you kind of. You're seeding ideas. I think I see try and seed ideas with people, but try and then get them to actually come up with the the manifestation of that idea. It's a sensitive approach. <laughs> yeah. Let's have a track from this wonderful Revolver album. What's tonight's offering? Okay, well, we had a George one, a John one, so I thought better have a Paul one. Paul's songs tend to be more standard. You know, he came from the sort of music hall background and everything, so his songs tend to be jolly and happy and sometimes experimental, but... I chose Good Day Sunshine just because it's just a happy song and it just puts a smile on your face. Take a walk, the sun is shining down Burns my feet as they touch the ground Good day sunshine Good day sunshine Good 
then we lie beneath the shady tree I love her and she's loving me she feels good she knows she's looking fine I'm so proud to know that she is mine good day sunshine good day sunshine good day sunshine Hits on Manx Radio with me, Mark Tiley, and my guest all this week on the classic album feature is Jip again, and he's chosen Revolver, and we're still delighted. And I know what's coming tonight; I won't spoil it. But you have, in my opinion, Jip saved the best till last. I think so. In, but we'll come on to that in a minute. Is there any form of music you where somebody comes up to you and says, "Can you record this?" You think, "Oh no." I mean, obviously, I, I know your studio. I know so many bands have been there. But is there anything that sort of walks through your door and think, I, I don't know, I'm not sure, when it comes to a challenge to recording? I don't think so. No, I, I'm, all, I'm certainly up for a challenge. The more challenging, the better. That would that would get my um, my oil flowing, you know, the idea of something that's going to be complicated and difficult, um, music genre-wise. No, because I think what I've learned in the studio is I really enjoyed the process of recording and working with bands and the music is a big part of that, but it's not the be all and end all, if that makes sense. It's sort yeah. of the genre of the music, the style of the music doesn't really matter. You know, it's about just making it sound the best it possibly can. Let's talk about this final song of the week. Well, I say final, I'm going to uh, surprise you in a minute, hopefully. Um, it's off Revolver. Tell us about this one. Yeah. So last song of the week, last song on the album, first song they recorded when they went in to uh, do the oh, album. was it? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, okay. they recorded it all on the first day. Wow. And then a few overdubs. Um, Tomorrow Never Knows. It's my personal, it's my favourite song ever. It's what I want playing at my funeral. It's it's just, for me, it's the most magnificent piece of music ever made. And they're pushing the boundaries everywhere with Absolutely. this. Absolutely. It, it's just, it rewrites the book. You know, it, it's using tape, five tape loops which was a method whereby um, a loop of cassette tape would run continue infinitely. Um, they'd, they'd kind of slip in and out of time. Mm. They'd use the mixing desk as an instrument. This is obviously pre-computers, so they'd have the tapes running on the sliders and they'd pull up the sliders and pull down the sliders in real time. So the actual recording is a performance it's not just the band performing, it's the engineer performing as well from the tapes. Um, the drums is kind of like a drum loop. It's heavily compressed, heavily distorted. As I said the other night, the vocal is run through a uh, rotating Leslie, which is an organ speaker that spins round. The subject matter is about the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Um, just everything about the song is just so far removed from anything that was happening at that time. Um, the, the nearest you could probably get to it is stuff that was going on in contemporary classical, like Stockhausen yeah, and people like say, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. More, far more than what you know, pop bands of the day were doing. I just, I, as I said, I would just love to be able to go back and be one of the first people to ever hear that song because yeah. I've listened to it so many times. It's just, I can't imagine what it was like hearing that song for the first time. Well, for me, 
it was eye-opening. It I was jaw-dropping. My sister's birthday, I mentioned right at the beginning, she was 21, and this was playing all night long. I'm not going to let you go. We'll play the track now, but if you can stay there, I'm going to bring you back for one more thing. Okay. I don't know how you describe it. You could use one word, awesome, outstanding. What would you say, Jim? Unique. Yeah. It, it's still, I mean, the only song I can, or the only band I can think of that have ever kind of really captured the sound of that is the Chemical Brothers, a dance band from the 90s. Yeah, I love the know. Chemical Brothers. Yeah, they, I they, did. they certainly, I mean, they were big Beatles fans and they're big fans of that song. I mean, There's yeah. one particular song that resonates with me yeah. and I can't think of the name of it. I mean, Let Forever Be, the one that Noel Gallagher um, did the vocals on, it is, is pretty much Tomorrow Never Knows, to be honest with you. It's pretty much a rip. Yeah, I mean, the Chemical Brothers song on it in its own right is fantastic, but I mean, that was the best part of 30 years after the Beatles <laughs> did it and yeah. that was the first time anyone really captured that sound again it's kind of it's a prototype for so many 
things that went on in studios and went on in music in later years. And it still sounds contemporary now, 53 years later. Now, when people come in and do this show, that's normally it. We had the four tracks and they go, have a cup of tea, have a lie down. But <laughs> I, I know you were agonising over another piece of music and I thought it's only fair to give you a bonus track. Oh, thank you very I'll much. Give you a bonus track from a band, shame on me, I hadn't come across, Neutral Milk Hotel. Tell me about them. Yeah, Neutral Milk Hotel. Uh, choosing a favourite album, I've got two favourite albums of all time, or possibly three. They'd be Revolver, they'd be In the Aeroplane Over the Sea by Neutral Milk Hotel, and then any one of the albums by Spiritualized or Spaceman 3. But the one that was most appropriate for this show was Revolver. Um, Neutral Milk Hotel are a band from Athens, Georgia. They were around in the sort of mid, mid to late 90s. They did two albums um, on Avery Island, which is kind of very lo-fi and demo-y, but wonderful. And then they released In the Aeroplane Over the Sea, which is like a better realisation of the first album. It's critically, hugely critically acclaimed. Um, everyone who hears it either never listens to it again or it ends up being in their top five albums of all time. It's that sort of album. Personally, I consider it to be touched by magic. There's just something about it. Every time I hear it, I hear something new in it. Some of the songs, the, songs I've cho- the song I've chosen is just Jeff Mangum, the singer and songwriter, and a guitar. It's just him and a guitar, and it, the way he uses dynamics in his voice and his guitar playing, it's just, to me, it's just outstanding songwriting. And his, li- his surreal lyrics, the orchestration on the album, I mean, there's alien pipes, there's trombones. To me, it's, it's similar to the Beatles in that it's kind of just saying, well, it doesn't matter what's come before, it doesn't matter what people expect us to do, we'll just do what we like. And there's something about that that I really respect in music. Well, you're a trusted friend. You're a musical guide. You're a wonderful producer, great engineer down at Ballard Groove. Thank you. And that, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show this week. Likewise. So we needed to do this. Here it is. Jip again. Bonus. Bonus track. It is Neutral Milk Hotel, uh, Two-Headed Boy. <laughs> Two-headed
just lay there in their clothes Who had it, boy? With bullies and waves Creating radio blade Just for two in the parlor Milk Hotel, Two-Headed Boy, a bonus track. The Jip began on the classic album feature on Manx Radio's Greatest Hits with me, Mark Tiley. Keep popping back here on our podcast for more, as there will be more in the weeks and months to come. And thanks for listening. <laughs>